This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Welcome to the BBC Music Magazine podcast. You can subscribe to the magazine by visiting classical-music.com or to our interactive iPad edition by visiting iTunes.com. BBC Music Magazine is now an official Apple Music curator and you can listen to our exclusive playlists by visiting applemusic.com slash bbcmm. This week, we gather together members of the BBC Music Magazine team for First Listen, a monthly slot where members of the team chat about and rate an important new release. With me today in the BBC Music Studio are acting deputy editor Rebecca Franks and editorial assistant Eleanor Cooper. Hello. Hello. This month, we've chosen the final recording of the complete string quartets of contemporary American composer Ben Johnston, recorded by the Kepler String Quartet on the New World Records label, and it's music that challenges the notions of modern Western tuning. So, are these performances finely tuned or just generally off-key? Let's hear the opening to the third movement of String Quartet number 7.
So that was the opening to the third movement of Ben Johnston's intriguing string quartet number seven. In fact, they're all pretty intriguing. Uh, this is music where one has to sort of adjust one's sensibilities, I think, to the music itself. Um, ben Johnston exploring uh, what I think the European string quartet tradition would perhaps be like if it was unshackled from modern Western tuning. Rebecca, how does this music work? I mean, it's very complex. That's it's, a big question. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it, I mean, the, the, the booklet notes <laughs> have got the most, um, you know, scientific, very sort of physics-based explanations on the nature of harmonics and um, can a string quartet accurately translate those onto in, in, into something of beauty and... Yes, I mean, uh, Ben Johnston's interested in exploring this whole other realm, the sort of microtonality and different tuning systems, far sort of into different uh, realms, really, from the fixed 12 tones that we have of of the Western tuning system. So you sort of have to put away, you know, put aside all your preconceptions. And it is quite a challenge in a a lot of ways to listen to this music, because the whole time it's challenging what we've kind of grown up with here in in the UK with, you know, the the sort of um, equal temperament. So you have to set that aside somehow. And then each of the quartets we have on this disc, they do explore slightly different um, aspects. And actually that that seventh quartet, which we've just heard, um, it has this reputation, according to the book, it notes as being one of the most difficult quartets ever written. Mm. But what struck me when you listen, there are three movements. The first first movement... um, it really sounds, it's sort of scurrying, it sounds like insects, and then the second movement is this really eerie quality to it. So actually it has a very visceral effect, even though there's this sort of incredibly complex mathematical underpinning. Hmm. Actually, it did have an emotional effect. But I think, I don't know, with, with all things that, that sort of have great power and, uh, you know, buildings, poetry, you know, sometimes there is a, a scientific underpinning to, to a lot of this stuff. And certainly when I was hearing that movement we've just heard, I felt as if, there were sort of moving sands underneath me as if the, the quartet was shifting in the most magical way that I couldn't quite perceive. Of course, there is a, there's a way to explain it. But for you, um, how did how did the music sort of impact on you as an aesthetic experience? I think Rebecca's right that you have to suspend your expectations in order to listen to this music because it really, if you are going into it thinking it's going to be a normal string quartet, that you... It, you might come across some barriers, and I know I certainly did actually come across some barriers. I found the microtonal tuning very challenging, but perhaps with further listening, I could get more used to it. I don't know. Mm. We're, we're used to microtonal tuning in honky-tonk pianos, aren't we, for mm. example? You know, the sort of the way that, you know, an out-of-tune pipe organs are another good example, the way that the music can uh, can take on another sort of spicy, exotic edge. Yeah, I was trying to think of sort of parallels, and I was wondering, um, you know, in the film The Girl with the Pearl Earring, and based on the book, and there's a scene where Vermeer is looking out, out the window and he's looking at a white cloud, and then you actually suddenly start noticing, well, it's actually yellow and there's purple and there's green and there's grey. And I'm wondering if this is a bit like that in some ways. It makes you stop and go, oh, it's not just that one sound. That one sound is made up of all these different different elements and actually there's this minute variation. So, But it does take some getting used to and it takes a lot of concentration. It, lot, I was say it does. I, afterwards, yeah. I did feel quite tired from mm-hmm. the effort of listening to it. Not to say that I didn't enjoy it, but it just... It required concentration, I felt. Let's hear um, an extract from uh, the string quartet number eight. I think this is a slightly less complex, but but no less sort of, I think, exciting uh, piece of music. This is um, extremely light and rhythmic. Uh, that's the, sur- the, the subtitle of the uh, movement we're about to hear. <laughs> ¶¶ 
so that was an extract from the third movement of the string quartet number eight. Uh, extremely light and rhythmic, uh, very minimalist in flavour, I think, Rebecca. It's uh, uh, certainly what I noticed was just how dedicated this string quartet is to reproducing the considerable demands of Ben Johnston. I mean, they must have put in a terrific amount of work. Yes, well, the Kepler Quartet was actually formed um, after they had done the Tenth String Quartet, which is actually on the, the second volume of this, which was uh, nominated for a Chamber Award in the BBC Music Magazine Awards a few years ago. Um, and the, I mean, just the kind of accuracy and the sensitivity and, mm. you know, their, the quality of their hearing and, and being able to find the right bit on the fingerboard to get exactly, you know, exactly in tune is... I can't really get my head around it, actually. And they play almost with military pre precision, don't they? It's, it's absolutely... Um, it's absolutely perfect, it seems. And whatever the challenge that... I have with the music, I can't help but admire the um, the quality of playing on the disc. Mm. And, the, and the point that is well made, I think, um, in these notes is that you know quartets, um, you know, used to play their parts slightly sharper or slightly flatter, depending on which passages they wanted to emphasise and which pieces of the music they wanted to, you know, create a different mood for, I suppose. Yeah, well, I think you do, don't you? When you're singing or you're playing a string instrument, you do actually, there's a lot of natural adjustment that goes on. Mm. You know, you might want to have a, a third slightly sharper or slightly flatter for, you know, a different effect. And actually, we probably do a bit more of it than we would say that would ha would happen in the normal. Yeah. I think I think equal temperament has, musically speaking, you know, bashed us over the head a, a little bit, mm. um, and it just seems such a waste when one has uh, fingerboards with no frets in them um, that does allow you to play so many different tones, and yet we're all obsessed with the perfect tuning within the equal temperament system. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, in the sixth quartet, the um, the octave is, they have 61 pitches in that octave. You just, it's hard enough doing, <laughs> learning a major minor scale on the viola, let alone having to fit 61 pitches in. Well, I think it would be interesting, actually, to, to try and translate this into some sort of computer program to see how it would actually, I mean, you know, of course the Kepler Quartet have done it as faithfully as they, as they can, but, 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 but gosh, it must be so difficult to inhabit a world where, you have to forget everything you learnt before and, 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 and try and learn this completely new division of the, of, the, of the scale. Yeah, I mean, their violins are actually retuned, aren't they? So they're having to actually totally relearn where their fingering mm. goes and everything. So yeah. It is amazing. I mean, it's bad enough for Western um, musicians to try and understand the Indian scales because, you know, mm. they're divided into quarter tones and, you know, mm. you hear the music of John Folds and mm. um, you, can, you can start to, to understand its complexities. But anyway, let, let's hear an extract from the string quartet number six um, where this scale is divided into these 61 yeah. divisions.
that was an extract from the string quartet number six, the Legato Espressivo. Um, I think what really grabs me here is how jazz-based some of this music is. Um, you know, he, Rebecca, studied with Mio um, Ben Johnston. He did, yes. Yeah, he studied with Mio and he studied with Harry Parch, who was also an American composer who did a lot of explorations in microtonal um, writing and invented his own instruments for uh, being able to play his music. And he studied with John Cage as well. Um, but yeah, the interest is interesting, all these different influences. And the book that notes as well talk in this quartet about the idea of this being a Wagnerian endless melody and also the piece is a palindrome. So there's so much there's so much going on here, actually. I think what's really interesting is that while Harry Parch, um, Johnston's teacher, he decided he was going to build specific instruments um, for his pieces. And Johnston actually experimented with that earlier on in his career, but he wasn't a very good carpenter, apparently. That was <laughs> the reason he decided. But also John Cage just um, encouraged him to write for existing instruments and just try and okay. bend those to his will. And, um, and therefore, you've got this piece for violins, which kind of, it, it's maybe more performable, it, it more, will last longer maybe than Harry Parcher's work, which is so specific um, and, and requires all this very, um, all these new instruments to be played. So now we move on to the uh, the final extract of uh, of our podcast, and it, it's taken from the final track of the string quartet, and it's a bit of an odd one out. It's called Quietness, and it's scored for string quartet and narrator, and here actually narrated by uh, Ben Johnston himself, who's 90 this year. Um, and it's the setting of a 13th century Persian uh, Sufi mystic poet. Um, let's hear an extract of it now. Inside this new love die Your way begins on the other side So that was an extract from the rather intriguing work for String Quartet and Narrator, Quietness. Um, there's a real sort of jazz, sort of scat, sort of quality to it, I think, isn't there? There's... It's, I found it quite unsettling, actually. I wasn't, I hadn't really looked exactly what was on the CD before I started mm. listening. And I was just wandering around at home and suddenly this voice <laughs> just appeared in, in, the, in the sitting room going, inside this new love die. And it just yeah. It was quite quite surprising in a way. It is, yeah. It's quite touching to have the actual composer do it himself. But, I mean, not the loveliest of voices, but it still is. quite poignant. And there's a certain sort of solemnity to his voice that I think really adds to the to the drama of the, of the I poem. I love how he sings, almost sings it in places. It's, it, his speaking voice is very melodious in the way he performs this. I think it's lovely. Mm. It's just like that... Um, uh, what, what, what does Schoenberg suggest that one does in Pierre Lunaire? Oh, Sprechstimmer. That's Sprechstimmer, okay. that's right. Um, uh, it's a little bit like that, isn't it? The sort of you get the inflections of the natural human voice, but you also get that sort of melody sort of just mm. creeping in. And I really, I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's time to put some scores on the doors. Um, Eleanor, out of 10. Well, I have to confess that I was not overly taken with the style of music on this disc, although I did think the performances were um, impeccable. 
uh, with further listening, maybe I'd give it a higher score, but I'm going to go for six. Six out of ten. Rebecca? I'm going for eight out of ten because I think it's such a valuable project to have um, these complete quartets out there recorded in such wonderful style. Um, and I, sort of, I did enjoy, I did find it challenging, some of it. The eighth quartet is much more accessible, I'd say, and I really enjoyed that. But um, yeah, eight out of ten. I'm actually going to give this 9 out of 10. Um, the music is challenging. Um, it, it is a difficult journey, but but the music is is so well performed and, and, and I thought the dedication of the musicians is is quite startling, actually. And, and um, there are moments when I was completely transfixed by the music, the way it shifts, the way it changes. And the, I think the whole project itself is, is, is very worthwhile and well worth exploring. Um, so that gives us an average of 7.6. So that brings us to the end of this month's podcast. Do join us next month when we'll be discussing another new release. Goodbye. 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 Thank you for listening to this BBC Music Magazine podcast, which was produced in our Bristol studio by Jack Fletcher. For more of our podcasts, visit our website at classical-music.com or simply head to iTunes.